Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read before all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, friends, let's just bow in prayer as we come to consider God's word. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you for the scriptures and uh, we do pray for ourselves now that you would quieten our hearts and our minds, that you would uh, free our minds from distracting thoughts uh, and by your spirit that we would be able to focus on your word, that you would grant us understanding and, Lord, that uh, that understanding would not just be something which we've grasped with our minds but uh, that we would grasp it with our hearts and seek to live more godly lives as a result. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. There was a a, a rather bizarre story that was published in the Sydney Morning Herald about six years ago. I saw it and I stored it away for an occasion such as this. Uh, It was a court case where three leaders of a Korean church in Sydney had been convicted of assaulting one of their congregation members. Uh, They had physically beaten uh, this member of the church family, uh, a young lady, because she missed out on attending church services a little bit too frequently. Uh, They punched her and they kicked her and they left her bruised. How'd you like that, by the way? Uh, If you don't front up at church for a few weeks, we'll send out a few elders and... No, this was a serious uh, case... Uh, At the trial, one of the accused said that he was only trying to help the lady, uh, was only trying to minister to her. He said that he knew that what they did was wrong and he promised it wouldn't happen again. Uh, He said that in future, if people had problems, that he would try to counsel them uh, using uh, more scriptural techniques. (laughs) That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Uh, All three of these church leaders were sentenced to short prison terms. And it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's almost unbelievable. Uh, And of course, we don't know what happened in the lead-up to that. 
and uh, it would also be interesting to explore some of the cultural issues because I know that sometimes with uh, uh, ethnic churches in Australia that the particular culture can sort of dominate a little bit over the gospel itself. But it's a stunning story and it's no wonder that the media latched onto it because it is the exact opposite of what church life is supposed to be like. Uh, Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples not by our court cases but by our love, one for the other. And as we've been looking through 1 Thessalonians over the past um, few weeks or so, Paul keeps on calling the members of the church by one particular name. I wonder if you can guess what that name might be. Uh, your outlines might give you a bit of a hint. He keeps on calling them my brothers, my brothers. Uh, in fact, uh, 13 times in this short letter, uh, he uses the term brothers. And I've listed those 13 times for you on your sermon outlines. Of course, the word brother, that sounds a bit sexist, doesn't it? It's, it's you know, when, what do they call it? A, a generic term. It's, 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 it means males and females in this context. It, the, the girls are included in this. It's a generic term. What, what it really expresses is that we are members of one family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, of course, in some families, beating each other up is kind of part and parcel of how people relate to one another. Uh, there are families where people don't treat each other very well. But our family, the church family, is to be very different from that because uh, we belong to this family because we share the same heavenly father. And so this family is different. Uh, if you take a look at uh, chapter 4, verse 9, now look at what Paul says there. He says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. It seems that the Thessalonians were doing pretty well on the brotherly love side of things. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because, you know, Paul says you're doing really well on this and you're loving each other as brothers and we don't need to write to you. So what does he do? He goes and writes to them more about brotherly love. Uh, not just in chapter 4, but also in the passage that we're dealing with today. Now, there's a lot that's packed into uh, the passage that Peter read for us. And so what I'm actually going to do, rather than give a very concentrated sermon. I'm going to spread that out over two weeks. So we're just going to have a look at a few verses from that passage today and we'll look at the rest uh, next Sunday. Um, so what does he say here about brotherly love in uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 12 and following? What is brotherly love going to look like in the day-to-day -day life of a church family? Well, first of all, Paul speaks about brotherly love towards leaders. Now, in any church family, there will be uh, people who will have to accept the responsibility 
of taking on leadership. Uh, In a church like ours, uh, there are uh, members who lead in a variety of different ways. Um, There are, of course, pastors, Peter and myself. There are elders. uh, There are Bible study group leaders. There are youth leaders. There are leaders of other ministries that we have uh, that all are part and parcel of uh, our church family. And so the question is, what will brotherly love look like with respect towards our leaders? Well, verses 12 and 13, let me read those for you. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. See what he says there? Respect them and hold them in the highest regard in love. These are people who work hard amongst you, who he says are over you in the Lord. So there's a leadership uh, role that they're playing. Now, in some ways, uh, this is a... It's kind of like an awkward couple of verses for someone to preach on because whenever you're preaching on these verses, it's usually the case that the person preaching is one of the leaders. And so, you know, it's, it's awkward for reasons which I think are fairly, fairly plain and obvious that uh, leaders generally don't want to say that you should respect leader, <laughs> that you should hold leaders in the highest regard. Uh, so, uh, before getting into it more, I want to just say a couple of things about the nature of Christian leadership. And the first thing, of course, is that uh, Christian leadership is about serving. Uh, we lead by serving. Uh, in the Bible, uh, people who love to be the leader, uh, people who love to be first, uh, people who crave status and position and authority are actually disqualified from being leaders in God's family uh, because such leaders for a variety of there's a variety of different issues there but of course one of course is that if you give leadership to a person who craves leadership who craves status then they will be people who will abuse authority uh, they'll become tyrannical and bossy, and so on. They're not suitable for leadership in God's church because our model is not the world. Our model for leadership is Jesus. Remember that uh, passage in Mark 10 when the disciples were kind of vying for uh, positions of uh, status in Christ's kingdom? And, uh, and, and Jesus uh, said to them that, uh, that those who are great in his kingdom will actually be the least and that we, we don't lead like the pagans do, uh, those who exercise authority and lord authority over uh, the people that they're leading. In fact, Jesus says that the Son of Man did not come to be served but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so 
the nature of Christian leadership is that Christian leaders lead by serving. But there's a flip side to that. And the flip side is that they serve by leading. They're not people who are led. Serving doesn't mean that you just allow others to lead you. You lead by serving, but you serve by leading, by taking the lead. And they lead by doing the hard work of uh, teaching the Bible, um, teaching the whole of the Bible, by modelling godliness and by making decisions. Decisions which may not always please everybody, but decisions which should be aiming to honour God, should be aiming to extend and advance his kingdom, to grow God's kingdom, and decisions which contribute to the spiritual nourishment and the well-being and the spiritual health of the church family. Uh, Sometimes, uh, and we see this embedded in verse 12, that that will mean that a church leader will need to actually uh, rebuke and correct members of the church family. Now, how do we do that? We don't send out the follow-up squad <laughs> to beat up on people. No, uh, that is done in a in a loving and a gracious way. Uh, but it mu- but it is part of leading. And it's embedded in verse 12 that these are people who will sometimes have to admonish you, which means to correct. Now, this is good work that leaders do when they're doing it well and they're doing it like this. So whether the person is a pastor, whether they are an elder, uh, whether they are a Bible study group leader, whatever their leadership role is, uh, Paul says here, if they are working hard among us, then their work is of great value to the church family. And brotherly love means that they should be respected and they should be held in the highest regard in love. Now, having said that, it's also important to note that the scriptures also teach that leaders are not above reproach. Uh, The reality is that leaders do make mistakes and leaders do sin. Uh, When they do, what should brotherly love towards them look like? Uh, Well, there are some principles in 1 Timothy chapter 5. I wonder if you might just turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this passage. It warrants a lot of time. But uh, just draw out a couple of principles here. Just go over the page to page 840. Uh, 841 actually. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Let me just uh, read some of that to you. Verse 17, and here it's referring specifically to elders or about elders. Uh, The principles are important. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Then in verse 18 he goes on to say that they should be provided for. In verse 19, 
do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Now here the principle is that uh, we ought to be very careful about listening to and engaging in and entertaining uh, accusations or criticisms about those who are trying to do the work of leading in the church. Uh, Because when that happens, it can be very destructive and it can spread and it can can undermine that person as a leader. Uh, It can undermine that person as a Christian. And it can therefore reduce their effectiveness in serving the church family. And that's not really of benefit to the church family when that happens. Of course, the most loving thing to do when we do have an issue with a leader is to do what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 18, uh, which is to go and have a chat with the person. And if the person absolutely refuses to listen to you, well, take a couple of others along and have a chat with them. And then, you know, bring it to others if the person continues to not uh, listen. And of course, uh, that is the loving thing to do. And most things can be sorted out very easily that way. Sometimes we may need to agree to disagree. But when that happens, it's important to bear in mind that the one who has the responsibility under God to, uh, to lead is the leader. Um, we see this in Hebrews chapter 13, if you'll just turn up uh, Hebrews 13 for a moment. Uh, page, what is it, page 853. Now listen to what the author to the Hebrews says. Hebrews 13, verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, It's fairly self-explanatory what that is saying there. Uh, that the elders are the ones, or the leaders are the ones who actually are accountable to God for the work that they do, and uh, that is of benefit to everyone to make their work a joy and not a burden. Now, of course, uh, if they have actually sinned, uh, then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, there is a proper and due process to deal with that. Uh, You don't bring an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or more witnesses. Interesting thing about that is it means you actually have to back up what you're saying and it means that the leader has the opportunity to respond uh, as well. Uh, He says that those who sin uh, should be rebuked publicly. It's not clear whether that's the elder if he's sinned he should be rebuked publicly or the person bringing the accusation if they've sinned that they should... But it's, it is saying that uh, we need to be circumspect but that there is a due process when an elder, uh, has, a leader has erred. And that happens from time to time. 
Uh, I've been in the situation myself where we've actually had to bring some charges against people who are in leadership in the church. But it's after a long process of um, speaking to them personally and, uh, trying, and, and trying to help them to, uh, to repent of what they've been doing. And so there is a process. But the important thing is to note that leaders are not above reproach. They must never be above reproach. Uh, and to sometimes rebuke them appropriately is the brotherly thing to do. A minister friend of mine once said that he would not preach on this issue of respecting leaders until he was about to leave his church. And I think it's self-evident as to why that would be the case because uh, you know, he doesn't want people to think that it's about him and it's awkward for any minister to say these things. But I take a different view because this is the word of God and it's important to explain the whole of the word of God and for us, this is simply the next passage in the series that we've been operating from. So it's not something which has been pulled out uh, selectively. But more than that, it applies to everyone in our church family who works hard at leading, no matter what their role, whether they're leading the women's ministry Bible studies, whether they're leading the music ministry, whether they're leading... the uh, other Bible study groups, whether they're leading as elders. It applies to a whole variety of us. And as brothers and sisters, uh, we should respect them and love them for the work that they do. And I noticed Catherine in her prayer uh, prayed, uh, led us in prayer, praying for those who are in our church who are leading. And that's the most loving, most helpful thing that we can do for our leaders is to pray for them. Now Paul, though, has more to say about this topic of brotherly love. In verses 13 through to 15, he speaks about brotherly love towards each other. A church family is made up of lots of different people. And that's part of the wonder and part of the beauty of church that... Uh, there's this uh, diversity, this rich fabric of people that uh, God draws together. People of different ages. In our church here, we've got uh, newborns and we've got people. Uh, one fellow was just telling me that he's about to celebrate his 66th wedding anniversary. You know, so people, babies through to people in their 80s and 90s. We've got people of different backgrounds. Uh, different ethnic backgrounds, even though Port Macquarie is a very mono-ethnic area. Uh, we've got different personalities, uh, people in different life situations and people in different uh, ministry uh, roles within the church, family. With all of these differences, uh, it's no surprise that sometimes uh, we will misunderstand each other. Uh, it's no surprise that sometimes we'll even rub each other up the wrong way. I, I'm actually more surprised that we don't misunderstand each other more and rub each other up the way, wrong way more than we do so. That's, I guess, the beauty of the gospel. But sometimes we will 
uh, tread on each other's toes. Um, and when, when that happens, with the diversity that we have, what will brotherly love look like? Well, verses 13 uh, through to 15 speak about that. Let me pick it up at the second part of verse 13 where Paul says to live at peace with each other and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Now, who is Paul speaking to here? Is he now addressing just the elders, just the leaders of the church? Well, he doesn't say who he's addressing, does he? Uh, I take it he's addressing the people that he wrote the letter to, which is the whole church. Um, these are instructions for all the family members. So let's have a look at them. In verse 14, he says that we should warn those members of the church family who are idle. Uh, to be idle obviously means to be lazy. And this appears to have been an issue in the Thessalonian church. Uh, not exactly sure why. Some scholars argue that there were some people who thought Jesus was going to return in their lifetime, so they just gave up their jobs and didn't bother working and so on. Um, uh, it, what it does seem is that they were too lazy to go to work and so they were sponging off other members of the church family to provide for them. In fact, Paul, this was a bit of an ongoing issue uh, which Paul needed to follow up in his second uh, letter to them. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says a lot more about it actually, uh, in uh, from verse uh, 6 and following, where he says that these people, their problem is that they're not being busy. Instead of being busy, they're being busy bodies. They are idle, they, uh, they gossip, uh, they meddle in other people's business because they don't have anything better to do with their time, they're not being productive, and they're destructive. And so the bottom line in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is that if a man will not work, then he shall not eat. Now, if these people just want to sponge, then the brotherly love thing to do is to not feed them. And Paul and Silas and Timothy were examples of, of uh, that themselves. They actually, when they were with the Thessalonians, they worked for a living so that they couldn't be accused of being sponges. So the idle person must be warned. But the idle person must not be confused with the person who is timid or weak. Sometimes we might make that confusion. Sometimes in church family life, a person may be idle a person may be lazy in terms of not wanting to serve others in the church family when they clearly have opportunity and the resources to do so. 
That's sometimes the case. But sometimes the issue is not quite that. Sometimes the issue may be that the person's actually timid, that the person is a bit shy, that the person actually lacks, lacks a bit of confidence. And so Paul says here that for such a person, those of us who are more confident should gently and patiently and lovingly encourage them. Uh, not judge them, but encourage them. Uh, whether that means encouraging them in serving in the church family or encouraging them in other aspects of their lives. Uh, indeed, I, I don't know what your experience is, but what I've observed in, uh, in, in Christian circles over a couple of decades uh, is that uh, I've observed people who have been by nature shy but they've become Christians and they've become involved in a church family and they've really blossomed. Uh, they've kind of come out of their shell. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of that's got to do with the gospel itself and having this understanding of, of God uh, loving them um, uh, irrespective <coughs> of whatever else might be have happened in their lives and to have that, uh, that fatherly love. And in the church they, they have felt understood, they have felt loved, they've been given the, the space to grow and have been gently nurtured and encouraged. Now the same goes for those who are weak. Uh, in any church family there will be people who are strong in many ways and people who are weak. Uh, what sort of things might cause a person to be weak? Well, just a few things that come to my mind would be uh, sickness. Sickness will cause a person to be weak, sometimes long-term debilitating sickness. Uh, or the frailty of age, uh, when it's not so easy to do things anymore. Uh, or uh, the um, other pressures, uh, just not handling family life because a person doesn't have the same capacity as someone else does. And those of us who are strong should actually help them. That's, that's the teaching here. We should go out of our way, we should put ourselves out to help them, to build them up, to lift them up, to look after their practical needs, uh, to read the Bible to them if they're frail and in a, in a nursing home and stuck in bed and can't actually do things as simple as reading the Bible for themselves uh, or to pray for them. See what Paul's saying here about brotherly love? He's saying, warn the idle, encourage the timid and help the weak. And when we do tread on each other's toes, which, hey, that's going to happen inevitably, Inevitably, when we do tread on each other's toes, how should we respond as brothers and sisters? Well, we all know what that's like, don't we? Because I think we've probably all had someone tread on our toes and someone in church who we think might have done the wrong thing uh, and, it's, and it has affected us. Uh, and, you know, there's a temptation there to kind of want to respond in a worldly way. Um, 
We may not go in and, you know, do what those Korean church leaders did, but sometimes we can actually damage people just by an idle word or saying something to someone else. Well, in verse 15, we're told that we should not pay back wrong for wrong. That's not to be our culture. That's not to be who we are. Instead, we are to be the very opposite to that. When someone wrongs us, we should actually respond by being kind towards them. Paul says here that we should be kind to each person in the church. We should be kind to everybody. Now, this is powerful. Um, This is radical. It's revolutionary. And it's not the way of our world. But remember, brothers and sisters, that it is exactly the way that God in Christ has treated us. We are members of the same family because we share the same Heavenly Father. And the only reason that we're part of this family is because we have a Father who, instead of punishing us for our wrongdoings, reached out to us uh, through the cross of Jesus and he showed us kindness and mercy and grace that's unfathomable. He's a God who chose us not because of our status or our strength or our confidence, not at all. In fact, God often chooses the lowly and the weak and the timid and he draws us together as he's already done for us. People with different backgrounds, different personalities, different, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. He's called us to be members of a family. And so, we actually need to make sure we engage with one another as brothers and sisters, as a family. This is how we ought to be viewing church. We ought not to think of church as being something which we sort of go to. People sometimes say, I go to such and such a church. Actually, don't go to a church. You belong to a church. We shouldn't think of church as something which we go to. We sit and we listen to a sermon Let us engage. Let us uh, involve ourselves in each other's lives. Not to meddle, not to tear down, but to build up. Let us be open to one another. And let us love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way that God has loved us. With grace, with mercy, with kindness, with service. Let's pray about this. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be members uh, of your family, uh, that we can call you Father and we can call each other brothers and sisters. Father, we pray 
that as brothers and sisters that we would relate and connect and engage with one another as family, that uh, we would have such a love for one another that we would be prepared to warn those who, who are idle uh, and that we would uh, also, Lord God, uh, help those who are weak and encourage those who are timid. Father, we uh, pray for those who are leading amongst us in all the various ways. Uh, we pray that you would keep our leaders uh, very well connected with yourself as they read their scriptures and as they, as they pray on a daily basis. We pray that you would strengthen them and we pray that they would uh, remain firmly committed uh, to your truth and uh, serving, leading in a way that is serving. Um, we pray for each of us that we will make life easy for those who are involved in uh, leadership uh, in all its various forms uh, so that they would be able to serve well. Father, we uh, pray that in all things that you would be honoured and glorified through our church family life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.